October is shaping up to be a busy month at your local multiplex. For us at Movies Last Night, our most anticipated releases of the year will finally come out. Denis Villeneuve's take on the unfilmable sci-fi classic Dune finally hits screens. Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho drops, and indie auteur Wes Anderson's The French Dispatch will round out 2021's hottest month for cinema nerds. All three of these movies were shelved from their original 2020 release dates and thrust forward into a still-evolving and unsteady marketplace over one year later. And depending on where you live, it's probably a bigger gamble to see them on the big screen now than it ever was. Eric and I are fans first and foremost, so when three of our favourite directors have movies releasing in the space of seven days, it feels like Christmas is coming early for movies last night. So that got us thinking. It's looking pretty slow for the next few weeks, and whilst we sit at home waiting for the summer to finally end, now seems like as good a time as ever to launch a mini-series looking back at a director's career up until now and how they've shaped our love of their art. Stylistically, Wright, Villeneuve and Anderson could not be further apart, but they all share a very strong back catalogue of work that many could argue is spotless. So please join us in conversation as we recount the first time we crossed paths with these filmmakers, our favourite entries in their illustrious catalogues, hot takes, clashing opinions, and hopefully we can convince some of you to check out a blind spot in your back catalogues all along the way. Once again, thanks for listening. Please enjoy the show. Hey Eric, how are you doing today? Good, Scott. How are you? Uh, I'm fine. Um, as fine as can be, uh, <laughs> considering <laughs> I ate Taco Bell this morning. We'll not get into that because it's a family show. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So I figured uh, today's episode, if you're listening to this, now you've already heard my recorded intro that I've done um, setting up what we're going to do. But um, just to kind of like go over what the plans are going to be for today. Um, Eric and I were looking at the release schedule for movies coming up and we noticed that at the end of October, actually October in general is stacked for releases. Oh yeah. Um, not, yeah, not so much right now, but um, because of that, we were looking, we're like, well, there's probably not a lot we can go and see in the meantime, but three of our favorite directors, that's uh, Denis Villeneuve, I, I think that's how you pronounce his name, um, Wes Anderson and Edgar Wright are all releasing movies in the last week of October this year. Um, so we were talking, and I think Eric, I think it was actually you that came up with this idea um, mm. for to do like we could do like uh, an episode on each of the directors, like a little mini sode if you want, or like a mini series, um, and just kind of go through their works and like kind of give a bit of a retrospective from our opinion. Yeah. Um, leading up to when, because we're definitely going to review uh, Last Night in Soho, mm -hmm. The French Dispatch, and uh, June. So, yeah, there's uh, no doubt. Yeah, th yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's funny. I was uh, before we started recording this, I was looking at other movies coming out in October, and the new James Bond comes out in October. Mm. Um, the new Halloween, Halloween Kills, comes out in October. Um, that French movie, I think it's French Titan. Oh, yeah, um, the one that just won the uh, can. Yeah, it was the Palme d'Or, wasn't it? Yeah, Palme that one. Mm -hmm. That comes out. Um, 
it's pretty stacked. Um, it's probably going to be the best month of the year, I think, so far for releases. Yeah, we'll I see. mean, out of, out of everything that's been going on lately, it seems like they're starting to kind of catch up. Yeah. So, um, I suppose, but we might as well kind of like get into it. So, today's episode is going to be on Wes Anderson. We picked Wes Anderson first for no reason. I don't think there was a reason why we picked him first out of the three directors. Um, no. But I, it's funny because we picked the one with, I think, the biggest catalog um, by a couple of movies. So um, in doing some research for this, um, I did what most uh, aspiring podcasters do is I, I went through Wikipedia <laughs> and started uh, reading a few of the linked articles. Um, but just to kick off the show, I kind of want to go over Wes Anderson's uh, career a little bit. Uh, before we start getting into our personal experiences with Wes Anderson's work. And um, just to read off a little bit, of, a little cheat sheet of information for you. Um, Wes Anderson was born in Houston, Texas in 1969. So I guess that makes him 10 years older than me. Um, mm. Exactly. Uh, he has two brothers. Uh, one, of, one of his brothers is called Eric Chase Anderson. And he's an artist whose paintings and, des and designs have appeared in a bunch of Wes Anderson movies. So I think that's pretty interesting. Because now, yep. upon rewatching stuff, I've, I've been looking to see, oh, I wonder if his, his brother did any of those paintings hanging up. <laughs> yeah. Um, he graduated school from a place called St. John's School in Houston in 1987, which St. John's to me sounds like it's a Catholic school. I might be wrong, but I think it is. Uh, and later used that location, which is interesting for his movie Rushmore. So a lot of the scenes in the high school in Rushmore, that was the high school that he went to, which oh. I never knew which That's was pretty cool. cool. Um, next up, he met Owen Wilson at the University of Texas College in Austin in 1989, where he later graduated with a BA in philosophy. So Owen Wilson was his roommate at college, hmm. which I think is pretty cool because obviously we know that Owen Wilson uh, co-wrote a lot of the earlier Wes Anderson movies um, mm -hmm. and he stars in a lot of Wes Anderson's movies. So I always wondered what the connection was with those two. And that makes perfect sense. Now I know that. Um, oh, yeah. Um, and then I guess the, his first experience making movies was just uh, messing around with his father's Super 8 camera when he was a kid. So he would like make silent movies, which um, obviously, I apparently he was not interested in doing a, being a filmmaker when he was a kid. He wanted to be a writer. But uh, I guess he's kind of killed two birds with one stone on that one. Now he's growing up. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that um, that he started out with the Super 8. It just it's kind of seems like a common uh, thread that happens with a lot of directors. It's like they, they start experimenting young with those kind of uh, little home, like home cameras that their parents have. I think, you know, probably Spielberg and um, that, that whole crew right there um, did the same thing. And it... And I think if you go back and look through, at least we'll research these uh, these other directors, and I I would almost put money on they they experimented at a young age with like um, audiovisual stuff in some degree. Oh yeah, totally. Do you know what I was thinking too, Eric? Just as hmm. uh, we were talking about that, there, like so he grew up. Obviously, he's he's a little older than you and I. So he grew up with the Super 8 camera, um, and then that was the, 
the technology of the time. But think about it now. If you grew up now, you've got like an iPhone 13 or whatever with like a 4K, I think even like 8K on some of these phones, like camera on them. And um, no. did, did you see that movie that came out not so long back? Um, I'm trying to remember the name. I think it's called like Clementine or something like that. And um, that kid made it. Um, she, I think it's a he or she, also made um, another movie called like The Florida Project with Willem Dafoe. Oh, was it Sean Baker? Yes. And yeah, that think, first movie was, called, was all shot on... Yeah, it was called Tangerine. Tangerine. That's it. I said, what did I say? Clementine? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Tangerine. That movie was all made on an iPhone. Yeah. Yeah. So like, think about it. Like, it's kind of wild that kids nowadays can grow up and you could literally just make a bloody movie for your cell phone. Yeah. I mean, it, there's nothing super price prohibitive about uh, kind of going out there and and, and kind of ex- expressing yourself one way or the other because the tools are like almost readily available to you. It's not that hard to kind of do it. You just have to, I guess, have the drive to do it and and uh, a bit of luck and talent too, you know, to kind of make it work. Yeah, that's wild. So when are we going to make our movie? <laughs> No time soon. <laughs> yeah, no time soon. <laughs> God, could you imagine how bleak and depressing that movie would be? That's wow. why I'm not doing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then. so getting back to Wes Anderson. Um, moving on, I'll just I'll go over his filmography um, from from the first first movie right through to his most recent movie. So 1996, uh, Bottle Rocket was released. 1998, Rushmore. Uh, 2001, Royal Tenenbaums. Uh, 2004, Life Aquatic with Steve Sissou. 2007, The Darjeeling Limited. 2009, Fantastic Mr. Fox. 2012, Moonrise Kingdom. And then uh, 2014, The Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, 2018, Isle of Dogs. And then coming up to this, the forthcoming French Dispatch, which will be 2021. Um, and I guess he's already filming right now his fo- his sec his new movie not his not a follow up to the French Dispatch his new movie he's filming it in Spain I believe, hmm. um, so who knows what that's about but it makes sense because the French Dispatch was supposed to come out last year so he probably made that wrapped that movie at least in like 2019 so I'm sure yeah yeah so that's probably what he's moving on to uh, now awards and nominations which is something I was thinking about before I started looking this up. Um, I was like, has Wes Anderson ever won any Oscars? He hasn't won any Oscars for um, director. Um, and I don't believe he's had any wins for actors. I'm not 100% certain on that. But he has won, and um, the main ones he won, well, the only ones he won for were for the Grand Budapest Hotel, mm. uh, which I think may be technical awards. Um, obviously, a this isn't like film spotting. I didn't do a ton of research, but uh, <laughs> I think there were technical wins. He's been nominated before. Um, and I think he's been nominated for like uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox and Isle of Dogs as like best uh, stop motion, which I mean, there can't be many movies in that category when that category comes around. So yeah, that's, that's, yeah. Um, he's won a, a couple of BAFTAs and a couple of Golden Globes, but I don't follow even the actually i don't even follow the oscars if i'm being honest um but i i pay even less attention to baftas and golden globes so that's 
of little note, I guess, to me. Um, yeah, I mean, I used to, I used to make it almost. Um, uh, I don't want to say a ritual, but I, I would kind of set time aside to watch the Oscars, uh, for a long time, and then it seems recently I just, I really haven't cared as much. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll typically yeah. I'll go and see those movies that they nominate because, um, usually, I'm usually most of them are pretty good or or um, have an interesting story to tell one way or the other. But over time, it just seems like it's it's just a lot of um, biographies, it seems, that are getting nominated. So uh, it just depends on if, you know, if I'm interested in the subject matter. I, I think this last year uh, was probably the year that I had seen the least amount of Oscar movies. Yeah, probably me too. Um, I like it's weird because this year was obviously on the heels of the the lockdown in twenty twenty. So mm-hmm. I don't even remember it happening. Like I don't even remember who won. Yeah, this year or, no. or what won. <laughs> yeah, that's weird. I remember. I I'm kind of like you. Wait, was it was it Nomadland? I was. It was. Have you seen that? Yeah. I have not. No. Nope, I have not either. Um, that's yeah, that's strange. Normally, I've always seen the winner. Like, I'll I'll watch the winner afterwards if I hadn't seen it before. But like, yeah. I never really put stock in it too much. But one year I did get invested. Kind of burnt me because it was the year that There Will Be Blood was going up for Best Picture against um, No Country for Old Men, and okay. it lost, and I was pissed. <laughs> so I was like, well, I don't, I don't really. I'm not really interested in this. Yeah, anymore. mine goes. Yeah, mine goes back a little bit further. Um, when Forrest Gump won over Pulp Fiction. Or, oh wow! <laughs> or even Dances with Wolves won over um, Goodfellas. So. Oh, but you know what's funny is I really like Dances with Wolves. <laughs> I, I, well, I really like uh, No Country for Old Men too, but like. Oh yeah, it shouldn't. Uh, Dance of Dances with Wolves won over Goodfellas. That's wild. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I, I guess they they just had like something against Scorsese. Like that's weird. Kind of like the do, but like Leonardo DiCaprio has never won a Best Actor, has he yet? No, I I um, think he I think he did. He just win something. Did that, he win I for mean, The that, Revenant? Yeah, I mean that, seriously, that's how much I'm kind of out of touch with it. You know, no, I know. And I mean, like, like this isn't really the podcast for that. I don't think by the time Oscars comes around, we're going to be doing an Oscar episode. I say that now, but watch, watch <laughs> us do that. <laughs> oh, we're such sellouts. Um, okay, so moving on. Um, this is. I'm going to read off this list because I think this list is crazy. Now. I realize if you do this with a lot of other directors, you'll get a pretty pretty good list too. So if you if you read off like this list that I'm about to do, if you did it for like Scorsese, for example, I'm sure it's pretty impressive. But I think this is pretty impressive, so I'm just going to read it out. So here's a list of actors who've starred in Wes Anderson movies. Um, okay, so Luke Wilson, Owen Wilson, James Caan, Jason Schwartzman, Bill Murray, Olivia Williams, Brian Cox, Gene Hackman. Angelica Houston, Danny Glover, Ben Stiller, Gwyneth Paltrow, Willem Dafoe, Kate Blanchett, Michael Gambon, Adrian Brody, George Clooney, Meryl Streep, Bruce Willis, Edward Norton, 
Francis McDormand, Tilda Swinton, Harvey Keitel, Ralph Fiennes, F. Murray Abraham, Tom Wilkinson, Jude Law, Leah Sidhu, Sarozy Ronan, I can't pronounce her name, Brian Cranston, Greta Gerwig, Scarlett Johansson, Benicio del Toro, Timothy Chalamet, Jeffrey White, uh, Jeffrey Wright, sorry, <laughs> Elizabeth Moss, and Christoph Waltz. That's yeah. pretty impressive. It really is. I mean, it, I mean, even from the from the very beginning, like um, uh, get, getting getting James Caan to be kind of in your first feature was of like a a movie of a bunch of kind of unknowns at the time, you know, Luke Wilson and Owen Wilson. And then you, and then you kind of have James Conn in there. Who's kind of iconic uh, being in your first picture. I mean, that has to, that had to blow their mind, I guess. Yeah, dude. I I mean, like, like if you're an aspiring filmmaker, whatever is your first movie around, I mean, it does happen to some people, I suppose, but yeah, James Conn's like total legend. So yeah. But I mean, like, just going through it, it's like it's fascinating. What what what's also interesting about that list is a lot of those, a lot of those actors are in recurring movies. So like they've done multiple movies with him. Um, but I guess that also plays into the fact that most of Wes Anderson movies are huge ensemble casts, um, yeah, which yeah. allows him to flesh it out, you know. But I just thought it was interesting. Um, uh, moving on from that, um, I. Wes Anderson's also known a lot for his uh, musical scores. Like, n- so not his scores specif- specifically, which I believe a lot of them are done by uh, Mark Mothersbaugh. Um, I think that's how you pronounce his name. Um, not specifically the scores, but his use of music in a lot of his uh, movies. Like mm-hmm. it's it's pretty well known for it. So like just a quick list of some of the bands that he uses, like the Beach Boys, the Kinks, Bowie, Nico, Paul Simon, Faces, Cat Stevens, the Who, Rolling Stones, etc., 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 and he tends to like favor a specific period, which I would say is like kind of like mid to late sixties through to like mid seventies. Yeah, it's kind of like yeah. his, and and it's all pretty much in that pocket, and it's all like um very stylized use of music. So he's a little bit different to like say Scorsese. Um, to use him as another example, somebody uses a lot of like artists' music in his movies. Um, he doesn't really play like a lot of on the nose songs, like a lot of bangers. So you'll not play like um, "Sympathy for the Devil," yeah. Um, but he'll yeah. play he'll play like something something that might have been like the seventh song of Goat's Head Soup, or like you'll be like, you know what I mean? So it's like a lot of when you hear a lot of these songs, they're like familiar because you've obviously grew up with a lot of listen to this, a lot of this music, but they're never like immediately the songs that you think you know what i mean mm-hmm. which i think yeah. i think is kind of cool and he's definitely known for that i know a lot of people who like have like spotify playlists of songs that appeared in his movies and like we'll get into this when we start going through the, the our own experiences with him but that's another thing about wes anderson that comes up a lot um now just to round it off um with my extensive comprehensive research um <laughs> i was looking up lists of influences uh so I was interested to see who he was or what movies or what directors he was like uh, quoting as being like influences on his work. Um, and I found a couple of uh, articles that were going through. He did like a couple for like, I think it was like Sight and Sound magazine uh, and a few other ones where you do like 25 of his favorite movies and go through them. Now, mm-hmm. this is more of your, in your wheelhouse, Eric. 
honestly, of the 25 of the movies that he would list, like 20 of them I've never heard of. Like, <laughs> never, ever heard of. And I'm not even going to pretend that I'm that much of a cinephile that I know what any of these movies are, because I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a few I recognize that I've never seen, like The 400 Blows. I've never seen that movie, but I know I've, it's been on like everybody's lists, you know? Yeah. Um, but of the movies that did come up, there's a few I have seen and a few that like um, I will mention. So he mentions The Graduate by Mike Nichols is a big influence, which I can totally see. You can see the influence on The Graduate in like at least the first two or three Wes Anderson movies. Yeah. Um, he- heavy. Um, a Clockwork Orange by Stanley Kubrick, which I can totally see, not necessarily tonally, because obviously Wes Anderson doesn't do anything tonally on that level, but... Um, mm. In terms of like visual and style stylization, I can totally see that. Like, he he definitely has uh, Kubrick like had a very unique visual style for Clockwork Orange, and Wes Anderson is obviously known for having a very unique visual styling to his movies. Um, yeah. and then uh, Rosemary's Baby by Roman Polanski, which I can totally see too. Um, I can see a lot of. Uh, I think just not only big, kind of to do with like. Um, not only like not thematically but like setting and period i can totally see that with rosemary's baby um but yes the rest of it's all a bunch of super hip stuff that this is not the podcast for unfortunately (laughs) (laughs) maybe it's for eric's uh solo podcast where he goes in deep deep dives i'll work on it (laughs) yeah it'll work on it oh wait so having gone through that eric was there anything stood out anything you wanted to mention well, it's interesting what like when you're talking about the music um, part of it because I think he has I think he has that same quality that kind of Tarantino has with uh, inserting music into his movies where it's 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 both personal but it it's also um, there's also a kind of a lasting quality to the to the music that he picks. Um, to where it it kind of it would stay in the in the almost the zeitgeist of 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 the of popular music or radio stations of the time because it's interesting. Like when when I with Tarantino, I I still hear music that he put in his movies today that just end up on the radio station, and so like you know the Kinks and Bowie and stuff like that. I. I can hear that periodically, like on a on a radio station if I'm flipping by. So, I, I think it's it's I think it's interesting that he's more he's probably more influential than he probably is perceived or thinks that he is in in a way or his the 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 products that he put out that he puts out are. Um, more influential than he gets credit for because i'm sure that people like like certain music or certain styles that he that he created not knowing that it came from him you know because there's there's like certain there's certain songs uh like say in rushmore that i know i know people have liked and i also know that they probably don't realize it's from that movie so uh, oh no! Yeah, I think yeah, that's it's true. just a really interesting kind of take on um, on kind of not the typical fare when it when it comes to kind of at, uh, throwing songs into your movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
it's funny because a, a lot of people I know growing up, a lot of people I know who are the, are the biggest Wes Anderson fans are always musicians. Yeah. Like all of my musician friends almost unanimously are really into Wes Anderson, which I, I, I've, I've always thought was interesting because, and I think that's because um, a, a lot of musicians find an affinity with him. Um, now, I'm not saying that Wes Anderson is picking these songs for his movies. I don't know if whoever's handling his soundtrack is picking these songs. So I don't know how much, I don't, I don't understand exactly how that works for like um, directors and, and movies, but like it, the, yeah, I think a lot of people find this affinity with him picking like um, interesting cuts, deep cuts off records. And, and it definitely leans itself towards like musicians or like, um, like music fans, you know, um, which I think is pretty interesting. Um, more so than a lot of other directors, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Tarantino's Tarantino's a great one that you mentioned because Tarantino's like that too. Like, uh, yeah, a lot of a lot of musicians are, are like music fans like Tarantino too. So it's just yeah. interesting how that. Works, I think they're you know? yeah, they're both very specific about what they want to put in their um, put in their movies. Yeah, yeah, and when when I get round to it, I do have a, a point I want to make about Wes Anderson and in terms of music too. Um, because it, I was thinking a lot about Wes Anderson in, in regards to like, uh, in relation to how I see some bands, but we'll get into that in a bit anyway. So mm. I kind of, let's get the ball rolling, Eric, and, um, let's, let's hear from you. I, I kind of want to know where, where you were, what point of your life you discovered Wes Anderson, um, in like, like if you have any interesting stories to share about that and then like how you kind of like, we've grown up alongside his movies for the better part like 20 years or so now so yeah, um, sure yeah go for it bud um i i i can't remember if i saw uh bottle rocket in the theater or not um i do remember that i think the first movie that i saw of his in the theater was probably royal tenenbaums um and i think the other two i probably uh either rented and watched at home some, something like that but i do specifically remember that those first two bottle rocket and rushmore really pulled me in like um immediately i i thought uh a uh, bottle bottle rocket was just this incredible comedy that i kind of hadn't seen that i didn't see coming and that i and i wasn't expecting um just how kind of quick it was and and the the kind of voyeuristic almost uh, approach and and view that he gave us it, it's like he he kind of just dropped us into those into those scenes and we were just kind of along for the ride really just uh uh experiencing Owen Wilson you know kind of for the first time and and how he's just kind of so over the top and almost like bombastic in it for that movie you know he he just controls everything all the scenes that that he's in and it's just you know, i was like mesmerized by that character and just the subtleties of of uh luke wilson and his little like jabs and and um the the dial i remember the dialogue and just kind of the funny one-offs that that happened in that movie that cracked me up to this day um 
that's one of the movies that I watched for this. Like, uh, I was, I kind of wanted to see if it held up in, in the same way. And I found myself just still laughing, uh, watching it when it came to certain points. I mean, when, when you're, when you're introduced to, uh, Bob, the getaway driver the first time and it's, and it's Owen Wilson sitting in the car and he's like coaching him up on, on this, on this kind of, I'm trying to get you into my crew sort of thing. And that whole scene that the Bob Maplethorpe getaway driver go <laughs> just cracks me up to no end. Um, <laughs> and, uh, or, or even when he's in the, when he goes out to the bar with, um, with, uh, Inez and, um, Luke Wilson's, uh, character, and he's just in the bathroom stall, and it, it, and it's just the weirdest little one-off line. He's like, he's going to the bathroom next to this guy, and the guy's like, "Oh, you're in the military." And he's like, "No, I just have short hair." I, for whatever reason, that just cracked me up the way that it, the way that the line is delivered. So it's a lot of that in in that movie. And I'm just like, "What is this? What am I watching here?" Um, because it because it just it, it has some of the best one-liners that I have seen in a movie that like to this day crack me up to no end. Like when, when, um, when Applejack, Applejack or, Oh, I, I think I that forget. is it. Applejack, I'll Google the, it while you're talking. The, yeah. The, the safe cracker, you know, when, when he's, yeah. um, when he's in there, when they're at the, at the end of the movie and they're breaking into the safe and, and he was like, I lost it, man. I, I lost it. And then just that, that great little throw out line. He's like, did you ever have it? I, I'm, oh, it just kills me. It kills me. So I'm, I'm sitting there watching it and just busting up. So uh, it, it really it really does kind of hold up uh, this far out. It, it's just it's such a great movie. Um, I, I watched, I do, I do own it. So I watched it and the copy that I have actually has the, um, the short that came before it that actually helped them get, get it put into Sundance, I believe, and then get it, uh, yeah. And get in, and they were able to get money to kind of, uh, to feature it later on. Um, initially they, they, I I want to say they were only able to, to raise enough money to do eight minutes, uh, and it's a little black and white, and it's and it's kind of different than what was than what kind of ended up being produced. There are some similarities, but it's almost um, it's almost not as serious, but it, it's more of kind of a, a a little bit more slice of life for those characters. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so they they put together the eight minutes, and then they got some more funding to be able to stretch it out to fourteen minutes. And if you um, get a chance, it's on the uh, Criterion disc, and uh, it's like a little fourteen minute short, but it's a thing that kind of leads up to to um, to the to Bottle Rocket itself. And there are there are some kind of uh, crossover scenes in it that you'll recognize and kind of see how they they built on it as well so uh it that super interesting uh i mean super hilarious i i can't i can't praise that movie 
um, even uh, higher because uh, to me, I think it is one of, I think it's one of his best comedies that he's made. And there's, 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 there's comic tones in, in all his, in all his movies. He has a very kind of specific voice with, with his dialogue in his movies. But to me, those earlier movies just kind of rang true more as, um, dark or kind of like offshoot comedies than anything else. Yeah. Yeah, I get you. Um, what was the, did it, what did you watch? What was the first one that you watched? Uh, well, the first Wes Anderson movie that I saw was, um, well, obviously it was bottle rocket. Now I did not see bottle rocket in theaters. Um, I, I was looking up when Bottle Rocket came out. So when was that? It was um, 1996, shall we say. I'm just going to double check off my notes. Uh, yeah, 1996, Bo Bottle Rocket came out. I don't think I saw that movie probably till about 1997. Um, yeah. And I definitely saw it. I, I would have been working at Blockbuster at the time. So I I I either was, rec was either recommended to me from a friend or was just one of those movies that was in rotation that I was watching so many movies back then that I probably yeah. it probably just came out on the indie shelf or whatever and I just and I just watched it. Um, I can't remember I can't remember if I was recommended or not, but I vividly remember the first time I saw that movie and like like you said, falling in love with it, falling in love with how irreverent the humor is in it. Um, the the obviously the uh, introduction of Owen Wilson as a star is basically a superstar from from yeah. that movie um like you could see like you could see the guy was going to have a huge career because he was just he's very very gifted comic actor i think um and what's funny is at the time i didn't notice or i didn't pay attention to the fact that in real life him and luke were brothers um which is interesting um yeah i do remember what i do remember not figuring that out until like by the time the tenenbaums came around or something um you also kind of know wild. that uh yeah that Future Man, uh, Bob's older brother, is also one of the Wilson brothers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's his name again? Um, I I cannot remember for the last I was, th I was thinking Dennis Wilson, but that's the, uh, the Beach Boys. <laughs> no, it's definitely not Dennis Wilson. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I think because the, the other Wilson brother, that guy, he's in the um, Drew Barrymore uh, roller skating movie uh, with the roller derby, um, Whip It. I think he's yeah. in that movie. Yeah. yeah. He's like, yeah, for sure. That's him. So I think like, obviously like I fell in love with that movie and then I was like, okay, well this Wes Anderson guy is going to be somebody to watch. Uh, Rushmore, when that hit um, for me was very, very big. Rushmore, I 100% saw in the theater. Um, and since then I've seen everything in the theater that he's released. Um, mm -hmm. So that was a huge thing for me. Uh, Rushmore and obviously I think a lot of people like you know cherish that movie and what was interesting about Rushmore is it that I think was the beginning if you look at if you rewatch Bottle Rocket which I haven't done in a long time but I'm going to now that you, you were talking about it because it just made me remember a bunch but um I think that that's the beginning obviously of the Wes Anderson style as we know it today um which there's Genesis, there's like seeds of that in Bottle Rocket, but it's fully fleshed in Rushmore because I, um, yeah. because I feel like obviously he must have had a bigger budget from the success of Bottle Rocket. 
And then um, that that's obviously like, I feel like for Wes Anderson to make a Wes Anderson movie requires like money because a lot of it's to do with setting and scene and costume in his movies too, as much as yeah. anything else. So I don't think it's just like, I think like the Wes, like the Wes Anderson that we have today is so like complex, his movies and so intricate that you can see where that, that how it's just built up throughout his career that way. So yeah, Rushmore was huge for me. Um, loved the soundtrack, loved it. Um, loved Jason Schwartzman, um, Bill Murray. Obviously, I feel like that was the start of the Bill Murray renaissance, so to speak, where Bill yeah. Murray went from being like a Saturday Night Live, uh, like 80s comic star to being like the Bill Murray as we know him now. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, there was that. And then the Sofia Coppola... Uh, lost in uh, translation. Lost yeah. So I feel like that was like the beginning of his run where, yeah, he became like this indie icon or again, Bill Murray, or like, I guess maybe for the first time. So that it's notable for that. Um, going up through them. Um, so I think that but the, the movie that is most attached to me in my memory uh, from a while ago now is um, Royal Tenenbaums, which is the movie that's probably stuck with me the most. It's the movie of his that I've seen the most. Um, mm -hmm. I have vivid memories of that movie. And one, it's funny because I was thinking about it when I was like thinking about what we we're going to say on the episode. But um, so years ago, I used to go and visit some friends and in my head now, it's a bit cloudy because I'd, I'd hang out in Manchester, I'd hang out in Leeds, and I'd hang out in Liverpool around that period of time in my life. Um, mm -hmm. And I believe this was in Leeds, but there used to be this little store, and it was right next to where the train station and the bus station was in Leeds. And um, I think it's Leeds, but it was a tiny little store, and it was just like very uh, inconspicuous. And what it was is it was a DVD store. So... Around this time, 2001, when Tenenbaums came out, is also probably, I think, the peak for DVDs. And I think it's also the same year that DVDs started to outsell VHS. Uh, so DVDs were like in everybody's home at this point, you know? Mm -hmm. And I was a, a huge early adopter of DVDs. Like, I got one immediately and I spent a fortune on a DVD player. Um, <laughs> I, didn't get it, I didn't get it with a PlayStation 2 like most people did. I actually bought a standalone DVD player and I think it was like 500 pound or 600 pound back then. So that's a lot of oh, money. Wow. Yeah. Um, and um, I also was very early adapted on uh, region unlocking. So I had my DVD player unlocked uh, almost immediately from when I bought it because I don't know, you probably don't, not too familiar with this, but like growing up in that period of time in England, there was a big cinematic, uh, there was like a window for cinema releases. So, you'd have the window from releasing the theater here in the States to home video, which was yeah. even longer than it is now because it's just the way the market works now, you know? But there was also a big leap between the movie's theatrical release in America, its DVD release in America, and its cinematic release or DVD release in England or in European markets. So we used mm. to get movies a lot later than you guys. You, that doesn't happen now. Movies open across the world more or less at the same time now but back then there was a big bit of, and i and i i figured it out early on i was like well 
I used to see these adverts in the back of movie magazines and it would just show, like, it would be like a full page ad and it would be all these movie titles with all these little pictures and it would be a ton of stuff I've never even seen before. And it was all like, all Region 1 DVD imports. And um, I'd be like, what's that movie? What's that movie? And this is, I wasn't using the internet back then. You know what I mean? So like yeah, I was yeah. getting all my movie news from like Empire Magazine or whatever magazine I was reading. So, and uh, I was going through all these articles. I was looking at all these movies. And I was like, all right, I got to do it. So I paid to have my DVD player uh, region uh, or Jill broken or whatever it was. So to bring it back to the little DVD store, that little DVD store, I I just, I just walked past by chance and I walked in and they had a bunch of region one import DVDs, which was my bread and butter. So I was like, oh, great. And you'd have to pay an arm and a leg for them. They were way more expensive than normal DVDs were. It was People almost like double the price. do not know the struggle. They don't know the struggle. No, <laughs> no, they don't, dude. And like, so I'd have to pay like double the price to these movies. But I was flipping through the racks and I was like, I cannot believe Royal Tenenbaums They've got the double disc. It was the Criterion edition of Royal Tenenbaums. And I was mm-hmm. like, I can't believe I have this already because it must have just came out like three or four weeks ago in England. Um, and I was like, okay, I'm going to buy it. And I didn't have much money left because um, I was just I was just a, a younger time, you know what I mean? It's not like mm-hmm. I had a lot of money. And I'd just been partying all weekend and like with my buddies. So I spent the last of the money I had to buy that because I fell in love with the fact that it had like the little booklets in there. It had the hand-drawn artwork and it was like first time I've ever seen a Criterion movie before, like a Criterion release. And I vividly remember buying it because it had like a pull-out map. It was like a map or a poster that was all drawn out inside of it. Um, Mm -hmm. And I just thought it was amazing. I thought it was the coolest thing I've ever seen. And I was already like kind of like a little, like a bit of a hipster and I was very much like a bit of a movie snob. So I, I, Obviously, I was super into Wes Anderson, and then I was like, I was super into the fact that I was getting this like what I felt like was this like really cool bespoke like um, DVD thing that nobody you couldn't buy it in England. You couldn't walk into a store and buy it. It just didn't. I had it was imported and shipped yeah. from America specifically. So I thought that was like super cool. So I'll always think about that when I think about the Royal Tenenbaums, and that's also why I've seen the Royal Tenenbaums more than any of these other movies because I was so in love with that DVD set. Um, that I'd watch it all the time. And um, that's always stuck with me. And I was, I was thinking about all the other movies that I've, I've seen, like I would buy like sight unseen. I'd be like, I've never heard of this movie. I'm just going to buy it. Like I bought that movie mystery Alaska, which is like an ice hockey movie with Russell Crowe. Yeah. Which is, a, which is crazy. I don't even think it got a, a release in England. I don't even think they released it. Or if they did, it went to DVD because nobody's watching an ice hockey movie in England. You know what I mean? But like, <laughs> yeah, it's just funny. I was just remembering about all the movies that I would import. And um, yeah. So anyway, so that I'll, I'll always be linked to Wes Anderson through that. But um, then, then going onwards from that point, like, yeah, I just, I watched everything it would come out with. I, um, I did kind of, and I don't know about you, I was going to ask you about this. Did you always really like Wes Anderson or did you kind of go through a period where you stopped liking him? Because I definitely did. Um, That's interesting. There was, um, I think at a certain point, I, and it's not that I didn't, that I stopped liking him or, or, or stopped liking the style. It's just, at some point, it just stopped connecting with me in a way. Mm Mm-hmm. And those are um, like like Bottle Rocket, Rushmore, Royal Tenenbaums. Uh, those those first three were just 
they they were just always kind of in my in my top ten because I mean stylistically, tonally, I mean the the meticulous uh, attention to detail in every kind of frame, um, the the way that he told stories, the the actors that he used. I mean the it's like everything about those three movies in particular always kind of have a special place for me in his kind in his uh catalog um and then it, it kind of went off the rails for me with um with zizu uh life aquatic um mm-hmm. and then uh darjeeling uh limited um i just I, I i didn't i couldn't understand why i couldn't connect with them you know and I think at that, I think at that point, it was uh, he was in full Wes Anderson mode in the in the in that uh, he was like almost full form, you know, you know, final form. Um, yeah, <laughs> Wes <Wes> Anderson, <laughs> yeah, Wes Anderson uh, form. Um, and I don't, I don't know at what point I kind of came back around it might have been um uh moonrise kingdom where where it was like you you still had a little bit of that a little bit a bit of those two movies kind of left over but there but there was that um with uh moonrise kingdom there was um there was a charm there was that kind of charm that was missing with with the earlier uh that the earlier movies had, you know, and, and that one just kind of brought that, brought that like little charm back to, uh, back to like his storytelling and his narrative and stuff like that. And almost, it, it almost had a kind of a, um, an innocent quality to it in the way that, uh, Rushmore and Royal Tenenbaums had, even though Royal Tenenbaums has a, has kind of a, a dark undertone to it. Um, mm-hmm there's still kind of this this little bit of of innocence and charm that happens in that movie um and so i think with uh life aquatic and uh darjeeling he kind of lost me with that and then he when he started to go into his animated movies as well um it's not something that i naturally gravitate towards so um i I've only seen uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox once, and then the for this for this podcast, I had watched um, Isle of Dogs um, for the first time. So I I didn't even see it when it originally came out. Um, okay. I just I, yeah, I really didn't have. I had heard that it was good. I just didn't have the kind of desire to to go and and you know kind of put forth the effort to sit down and watch it um but i had like i i watched it yesterday and um and 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 if anything else i I mean it is what he's able to accomplish with movies like that is so impressive to me um in his interesting way of doing like the storytelling it's unconventional and then that kind of art style that he that he has you know it's a Wes Anderson movie. I mean, 
he has such a distinct style even even in that kind of even in that that medium that you know what you're watching and you know what you're going to get um even if you're almost unaware of of it happening so um i'm to kind of a long answer to your question um i think about the kind of the middle of his of his, of his career uh, i kind of stepped away from him and then as he's kind of come back i with uh with moonrise and then his later stuff I, i've kind of started going back into into having an interest in in what he's putting out um i have a suspicion that uh, French Dispatch is going to play a lot like um, Grand Budapest, so I, I I'm kind of interested to see where that goes because he he tells his movies in parts. You know, it's like he chops it up in a certain way to where he, he it's it's almost episodic in the way that he he tells his his stories. So um, I just get that feeling that it's going to be that very episodic. A very meticulous style that he has um, shown in his in his later works up up to this point, and kind of built on that foundation that he created um, in those earlier works. So I have the I have the feeling that it's gonna it's gonna play a lot more like um, Grand Budapest than it will the those middle works. Yeah, I agree. I'm just watching the trailer the other day and I've seen the trailer a bunch of times now, but uh, I feel it looks, yeah, it looks very close to um, Budapest. Um, Like, I feel it's going to have that kind of energy and it's going to be like that level of Anderson. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's funny because like, yeah, what I meant by the question is like, that makes perfect sense what you said because I feel like a lot of people have a similar trajectory with him as you do. Um, for me, I do also. Um, I, I think I was having, I think I was going through a pretty bad time around, uh, the life of a life aquatic, like that period in time of my life. Um, so I do, I don't know what happened, but I think I got to a point where I started associating that movie with me not being very happy, like, and I don't know whether mm. it's because I was watching it a lot when I was having a, a rough time or um, somehow it's linked. And I'm not, I can't say the exact reason why it was because it's kind of hazy, but like, I've always kind of like just avoided that movie ever since it came out. And cause I definitely watched it a lot, but um, I always associate that with something bad in my life, which is really weird because I don't do that with films at all. Usually I'll do it with Mm. music. Sometimes I'll avoid records because like I had a difficult period when I was listening to a record, but like I don't do it with films, but I do with life aquatic, which is weird. But I kind of started to feel like I lost Wes Anderson around that period of time. Um, I feel like life aquatic from what I remembered it being was when he went full Anderson, like you said, in his final form. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think he's never went back really from that. I feel like it's, it's, it's been, I don't think he's ever made anything like Tenenbaum since it with like that kind of like, um, Tenenbaum's to me feels more, um, more emotionally open and honest and like a little bit more real. Everything else seems hyper, sense like hyper stylized and, and very heightened since then yeah um yeah 
And so, yeah, so I lost them. I lost them then. And then I saw um, Darjeeling and I did not like Darjeeling when I first saw Darjeeling. And I know people who really like that movie. And it's always been for me his weakest movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. I never, from, I never connected with it. Yeah. No, I, I never either. And like, I think, which is weird because people like, you know, still wax poetical about that, that movie. And then I think after that, um, when it led on to, what was it? Um, yeah. So Fantastic Mr. Fox, I saw it when it came out, but I didn't really pay much attention to it. Uh, Moonrise Kingdom didn't pay much attention to. Moonrise is a movie that I've actually started like, that's only grown in my estimation over time um, upon rewatching it because I was definitely in that frame of mind where I was like, I'm not really interested in Wes Anderson. Like every time I saw something by Wes Anderson, I was like, this is just Wes Anderson doing Wes Anderson. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. it wasn't really until later that I started really appreciate Moonrise Kingdom, which led me into like uh, Budapest and Isle of Dogs, which I've uh, seen and then, but like I've never really connected to him since Royal Tenenbaums, really, like really yeah. connected to the to the movies, yeah. um, which is interesting because we're going to get into this now. I suppose we'll move on to our next section, which would be we both obviously said we're going to rewatch movies, and I think we both watched three of his movies each in the lead up to this, which is way more than we usually do for a podcast because it's usually just one movie. Um, yeah. So I'm very curious. We didn't tell each other what ones we watched. You've just told me that I through the conversation that you watch Isle of Dogs, um, which I'm very interested in hearing about. Um, what are the, what, so what were your three movies that you picked from his catalog? So the first movie I watched was um, Bottle Rocket. That's because right. Because I, yeah. I hadn't seen it in quite a while. And um, I, I, I own it. So, so I was like, I'm going to get to it. I'm going to get to it. And then this came up. I was like, this is a perfect opportunity to kind of sit down with it again and uh, re re kind of experience it, and like I said, it just it holds up. It's a it's it's really kind of a great debut uh, comedy. That it it's a it's almost it's almost by itself, you know, in a way because he doesn't really hit that kind of uh, hit that that stylistic stride that he has until Rushmore, you know, once he gets into Rushmore, it's like he, he never looked back at that point. Yeah. Um, but with bottle rocket, it's, it kind of has that little special, it's that little special window where, where it's like, he could go, he can go either, you know, one way or, or another, you know, he could have, he could have gone the, the, the route that he did take, or he could have gone the more kind of commercial route, because you you can tell he has those he has the chops to do it you know he has this vision and you know he can kind of get that um, get that uh, get his voice out there with what he's trying to um, show you so it's it's a very interesting kind of look I think if you watch his later steps and then go back to that it's a very interesting look at to see where he started out because there, like you said, there are those little kind of clues that, that, uh, that he shows in that movie, just like camera positioning or how he, or his, like the dolly shots that he uses to show up in like almost all his movies, how, how the dialogue is carried with the, his kind of dolly shots that he uses and, um, how he, 
how he kind of he uses the entire scene you know there there's stuff going on in foreground middle and back uh the w- with everything there's like it's almost like there's no wasted space and it, and he kind of uses that formula throughout his his whole career and so it's interesting to kind of see see it foundationally with with that first movie um and it's such a great movie i mean if you haven't seen it it's such a great movie uh, and i really hope that you that if you're listening to this and you haven't seen um bottle rocket do yourself a favor um the second one that i watched was moonrise kingdom and oh, i hadn't nice. seen it, yeah i had not seen it since um man maybe until it came out you know i think i i i watched it when it first came out and then i never went back to it um and it was just, it was almost kind of that thing it, it it almost got thrown into um that life aquatic uh feeling for me the first time because it it was like it it had that little bit of strangeness to it and the the off kilter kind of dialogue and presentation that I think initially I wasn't really prepared for so I I wanted to watch I wanted to watch like almost bookend movies I wanted to watch his first and then his latest um and then I wanted to watch something somewhat in the middle I I don't think I could have sat through um uh, Darjeeling or uh, Life Aquatic. I do want to get back to him. I mean, that, that's some, that's a challenge that I'm putting up to myself. But um, but I wanted to watch something that didn't initially connect with me. And this time this time around, it really did because what I what I get, took away from it is that he's always trying to tell that story of the outsider in a way. And, and mm-hmm in all his movies, you know, at least the, the earlier ones that, that I kind of gravitated towards, like with bottle rocket, it's, it's Dignan with, with Rushmore. It's obviously, um, Fisher. character. Yeah. yeah. And, and with, uh, Tenenbaums, it's, uh, Gene Hackman's character Royal. So he's always kind of telling that underdog story. Um, and I don't know. I don't know why he kind of always goes back to that in a way. But it with the with Moonrise, it really kind of it had that that initial charm that I that I really kind of fell in love with the with those first three movies. It had that really kind of nice, interesting charm to it. Um, and I'm always curious how he can kind of wrangle in this incredible talent on in his movies that you know you hear these kind of you hear almost these horror stories about some of these people that and it's so interesting that he that the kind of the way that he pulls out these like almost the a softness to their characters you know i mean like a bruce willis or or you know edward norton who you know you hear like these like I said these horror stories about them on the set, um, just through you know gossip magazines and whatnot, and I, you know I I really don't know if there's any real kind of validity to any of that, but it it's just 
it's very interesting how <coughs> they they don't that they don't go kind of full versions of themselves. It's like they're they're always there to kind of tell uh, Anderson's story and and not yeah. to kind of chew up the chew up the scenes with you know their yeah. kind of acting chops in a way because any of them I mean Brian <coughs> Co- yeah Brian Cox or or um, uh, was it Ray Fine um, yeah any of these like killers I mean killers that could like be the star of any any of their any one single movie just as them you know and and he he creates these crazy ensemble casts and uh it's just it's so impressive it's so impressive with what he does um but th- those are the movies that I that I kind of uh, rewatched for him mm-hmm. um the first, the latest, and then something kind of in the middle, which was Moonrise. That's interesting because I was really hoping that you were going to watch Moonrise again. I was yeah. really hoping. <laughs> I, I That's what I wanted you to watch the most. And I was kind of hoping you'd watch Isle of Dogs too or Mr. Fox. Um, just because I like, you know, I'm just interested to hear your take on, on his animated stuff. But it's funny that you mentioned um, the casting because that did make me think. Like, I can't think of anybody who's got a, decent performance out of Bruce Willis in the past 15 years other than Wes Anderson. Yeah. Because yeah. Bruce Willis is wonderful in that movie, uh, Moonrise Kingdom. And like, he's awful in like everything else. Like, <laughs> and yeah. no offense to Bruce Willis if you're listening to this, but like you suck <laughs> in pretty much everything you're doing recently. But he is really great in that movie. And like, it's so funny because like well, the whole time you're watching it and like, his performance is so gentle and like nuanced and like it's just such a joy to see Bruce Willis act because he's such a good actor and it's just like he refuses to act you know whereas like it's kind of like in a way seeing Nicolas Cage in Pig where you see like Nicolas Cage acting rather than just being just cashing a paycheck that's kind of what it's like I mean it's tonally very different but like it just made me wish or like yearn for what we could have had with Bruce Willis, like all these movies he could have made if he wasn't just picking up a paycheck to make some shitty action movie. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause he's such a talent and like, yeah, that, that was really, really interesting that you brought that up. Cause I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Definitely. What, uh, which <clears throat> ones did you watch? So, um, something similar in the way I, to you, what I wanted to do is I wanted to watch, uh, my least favorite Wes Anderson movie. Um, and then I wanted to watch, um, the most recent or like the most recent that I suppose, suppose would relate to French dispatch. Um, cause Isle of Dogs being his most recent, but I wanted to watch his most recent like movie movie. So I did Budapest and yeah. then, um, I also watched uh, fantastic, fantastic Mr. Fox. And that was just so I could do one of his animated ones. So it's like, you know, I could cover like some ground, um, which is in, in, Actually, I was going to bring this up too. So, like, you obviously own a lot of these Criterion uh, Wes Anderson uh, Blu-rays or what have you, but like, yeah. I don't own any Wes Anderson. I haven't owned physical media in a long time. So, I was going to watch him, and I was kind of shocked that you can't stream anything right now, other than Fantastic Mr. Fox. I think is the only streaming through any of your subscription services for any of the Wes Anderson movies. Oh, and like, and that, uh, Isle of Dog. 
Yeah. Isle of Dogs. Is that on Disney Plus or is that on yeah. Prime? Yeah, it is. Oh, okay. I, I was at, I was at the same boat. I was really surprised that that it was available. I thought I was yeah. going to have to rent it. Which is weird. And I guess that's what they do every time somebody has a big new movie coming out. It's like you can't, like, they'll just pull all of the stuff off free because they know that people will pay because people will be like, oh, French Dispatch is coming out. I want to watch Tenenbaums again. Oh, now I have to pay $4 to rent it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I did have to hunt. I ended up just renting everything other than Fox, which I watched on Disney Plus. Um, but I might as well have rented it because I had to spend $8 just to get Disney Plus to watch it. So, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. In this in the scheme of things, but um yeah, so those are the ones I did, um, and I'll kind of give you a, br- a brief uh, recap of what I thought upon rewatching Fantastic Mr. Fox. Uh, my main thoughts about that are how fantastic George Clooney is in that movie, and it just made me wish Clooney's did more. Clooney has done more stuff with Wes Anderson because I think Clooney has just the best voice in Hollywood. He's got such a cool voice, so he's yeah. The, he lends such like a, a gravitas to Fox um, that I think it's just like, I I think his performance is incredible in that movie. Um, I think Jason Swartzman's really good in that movie too. Um, I think like, I think that movie's a, a, a joy. I think it would be like, it's a wonderful movie for kids to watch, families to watch. Um, and I think it's, it's kind of one of the sweetest of his movies. It's very, it's very sweet. It's like, um, it's lovely. It's just like, it's it's a lovely movie, start to finish. It's a little creepy <laughs> with the yeah. the stop motion because it's not like so. You know, I was thinking about like the stop motion style of it, and it feels more like I've never seen it growing up because it's an American thing. But I know it's big in America that you guys had that like Rudolph, um, red nose oh, reindeer yeah, yeah, thing yeah. growing yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what it kind of looks like to me because it has that kind of like almost unnatural quality. Whereas you know, like Leica movies, like Coraline and. Um, those movies they have a more fluid style of stop motion and i like how janky the wes anderson style is almost it feels a little bit more like rigid everybody seems more rigid which it gives it that kind of like it's like an almost uneasy quality sometimes to it which is uh pretty interesting i think yeah i yeah. i like i'd like kind of that the style that he uses with uh with his animated stuff because it's almost like if you pay attention you can see how it was done or how he kind of produces some how some of his effects are produced in a way and it's it's mm-hmm. it's really interesting to to kind of watch him uh in in that medium that that he uses there yeah, and I, I definitely would recommend, of if, so like if you're coming in this episode, like Eric said before, and you say if you're new to Wes Anderson and you listen to this, you I haven't seen any Wes Anderson movies. Yeah, I would like, I think you should start with Bottle Rocket and I think you should also watch, uh, of all the movies, I think you should watch Fantastic Mr. Fox just to see a different side of him, see something that he's obviously clearly interested in and he has like a great reverence for the art. And there's not many people make stop motion movies now. There's Leica, I think Oddman, who do like the Wallace and Gromit movies, and then mm. that's about that's about it. Like, I think because it's obviously such an exhaustive procedure to do that, like time intensive. It must have been. I mean, I can't even imagine how long it takes to make movies like that. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it has to be like a almost a passion project because the the amount of time is must yeah, be ridiculous. For sure. So, um, 
my Grand Budapest rewatch was uh, fine. I enjoyed it just as much as I always have done. I think Grand Budapest is fine. Um, I think the standout, obviously, is Ra uh, Ralph Fiennes in that movie, who is just wonderful in that movie. Um, it's actually pretty fun because there's a part of that movie where Harvey Keitel uh, is in that movie. He's um, one of the prisoners who he helps bust out of jail with. Um, so there's a scene where there's... I, I believe there's a scene with Edward Norton, Ralph Fiennes, and Harvey Keitel all in one one screen, which is funny because I recently rewatched um, the um, Red Dragon. You know, like the third Hannibal Lecter movie, which I guess oh, is yeah. the prequel to uh, Silence of the Lambs. Um, yeah, really underrated movie, by the way. Red Dragon. It's really good. In it, believe it or not, it's a Brett Ratner movie, which is wild uh, that he did it because he's like by all accounts, a horrible human being and not a very good filmmaker. But he made Red Dragon and he made Rush Hour, so I'll give him a pass because I think they're both great movies. But Red Dragon's really great. And it, all three of those guys are in Red Dragon. So it's funny. When I was watching, I was like, it's like a cast reunion on um, yeah. Grand Budapest Hotel. Um, hey, I enjoyed you it. Know, you know that's a remake though, right? Well, is it a remake of Manhunter? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I see. I thought Manhunter was separate. I, I didn't realize Manhunter... I didn't realize Red Dragon was a remake of Manhunter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I remember watching that movie and, and just being almost crestfallen in a way because Manhunter was just such an incredible movie. Like, so one of my... Is that what... One, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, no, you're fine. I, just so I've got this right, Manhunter is Brian Cox's... Um, Lecter. Hannibal Lecter, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah, I never he, knew that. He right? was the first one, yeah. I never knew it was a remake. For some reason, I thought it was just like another side story. Yeah, I think uh, I think uh, Red Dragon maybe follows the novel uh, a bit more. Oh, uh, okay. Okay, well, don't rain on my parade. I liked Red Dragon. I thought it was really <laughs> good. I know that you like Manhunter better, but um, okay. is, who did Manhunter? Was that De Palma? No, it wasn't De Palma, I, was it? I think it was Michael Mann. Oh, it's Michael Mann. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Now I need to watch that again. Okay. That, <laughs> I think I've only ever seen that movie once. Anyway. So yes, uh, my, to sum up Grand Budapest Hotel, beautifully shot, beautifully made, um, great, com great comedic moments in it. I love Willem Dafoe's character in it, uh, with like the brass knuckles, it, like the psychopathic is fun. Um, I love Adrian Brody in it. Like it's, it's, a beautiful, beautiful movie. I love the aspect ratios that he changes with between like the present day of him recounting the story to Jude Law and then when it flips to that like a four by three format ratio, uh, mm -hmm. which is like for all of the earlier stuff. So I really, really like that. Um, set work, obviously the the sets and, and, and the costumes are fabulous. So it's a good movie. Um, it's still a little too full Wes Anderson for me. It's a little, it's juiced on the Wes Anderson a little bit. Um, yeah. And I think that's because it's very fantastical and it's very like, it's very heightened once again. And like, I don't, I once again, I, I didn't find myself connecting to any of it. Like I can connect to um, Max in Rushmore. I can connect to um, Owen Wilson's character in, um, no, sorry, uh, Luke Wilson's character um, in Tenenbaums. Um, like, there's a, I can emotionally collect, connect to those movies. I can't mm -hmm. connect emotionally to... It's just a, it's a fantastical comedy. You know what I mean? 
So like, oh, yeah. it, I don't know. It's like still, there's nobody else making movies like that. So it's still like in a league of its own. It's just not my preferred style of Wes Anderson. And then to round it off, I wanted to do the movie that I, I feared in the movie that I dr- actually dreaded watching this. I watched uh, Life Aquatic today um, before we recorded. <laughs> yeah. And I don't know why. I was just like, I don't want to watch it. I don't want to sit through it. It's really long. Um, and I watched it and I actually really enjoyed it. So this yeah. just goes to show that time can change you a little bit on things. <laughs> yeah, I was I was really kind of on the fence between watching Life Aquatic and uh, Moonrise. And, and I, I kind of, I think I kind of took the safe way out on that one. I think it did because I was going to do Moonrise too, just to get out of Life Aquatic. <laughs> okay, so um, Life Aquatic. This is how, this is my opinion, having rewatched it for the first time in a long time. I actively, some periods of my life, I've like vocally spoke out loud about how much I disliked Life Aquatic. So mm-hmm. now going back to it, Life Aquatic is very funny. It's a very, very funny movie. Um, the problem I think that lies with Life Aquatic, and now I've realized this again from rewatching it, is the heart has gone. There's no heart. Like the, the the tenderness in the heart and like the soul of those early Wes Anderson movies leaves with Life Aquatic. And then that's when he goes full Wes Anderson. And by that, like the characters are kind of like assholes. Um, yeah. which they kind of are in Budapest too. Uh, they kind of are in Darjeeling. Um, like Bill Murray's fabulous in it, but he's a total jerk. Like, and I, and I get, yeah. I get that's obviously the point of it, I suppose, but like, he's not like the underdog. He doesn't have like the, like Royal is a jerk in Royal Tenenbaums, but there's something lovable about him. There's not totally. much lovable about yeah. Bruce Willis. Uh, sorry. Um, Bill Murray in Life Aquatic, you, the whole time you're watching it, you're like, yeah, this guy's a total douche. So you're kind of <laughs> laughing at him as opposed to like with him. Um, so I think that marks the tonal shift for Wes Anderson. And I don't think he really gets it back until Moonrise, which I feel like Moonrise should have followed Tenenbaums. I feel like that yeah. would have been a better flow of movies because I feel like Moonrise is the first time you go back to like those kids being like somebody that you want to root for, somebody that you want to believe in. Um, and like, there's a sweetness to that movie too that's missing in the other movies. Um, there so really like, is, yeah. Yeah, so Zissou's doesn't have, what Zissou does have in spades though is in, ingenuity. Um, the fact that they build that huge set, which is half of the ship cut in half, and they like literally built it on a soundstage. And like everybody's walking and like there's some scenes where um, Bill Murray's being followed through the ship and you see him walking up through that like side section view of like the stage that they built. And it's incredible. I mean, it's incredible. If there's like in the bottom of where that you should really watch it again, Eric, just just for like the technical aspect of that movie. It's friggin bonkers because obviously threw money at him after Royal Tenenbaums and like I, I don't know how much this movie must have cost to make, but like even... Where they when he cuts the the boat in half, I think I don't know if it's called a diorama. I don't know the exact technical term for what he built is, but even at the bottom where the boat lies, there's a water tank and it actually has two dolphins in the water tank swimming. That's how big it is, yeah. and the actual real dolphins <laughs> swimming in there, and like yeah. it's 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 like a thing of beauty. Like it's insane. 
like the craftsmanship involved in that movie. The cinematography in Zissi was fabulous. Like the setting, how I guess it's all filmed, like it looks Mediterranean. So it looks like it's like around Greece or like the islands. A lot of it's filmed Mm -hmm. on the beaches. Um, It's beautiful. A lot of outdoor scenery shots, but it's taken place at like dusk and sunset. It's it's like, it's a beautiful, beautiful movie to look at. Um, The cast is excellent. Angelica Houston is really good in that movie. Um, Bill Murray is really good in that movie. Bill Murray's full Bill Murray. So he's full Bill Murray in a full Wes Anderson movie. So it's a a lot. There's like a lot going on. Um, But it's a very, very funny movie. It's too long. It's way too long. It feels like it's like 35, 40 minutes too long. Um, Yeah. But like, yeah. So I'm pleased I rewatched it. And like, I've definitely gained more of an appreciation for it. But like, I still blame that movie as the movie that it still plays that way. It's still the movie that you kind of like detach from him, or at least I did. And it sounds like you did too. So um, I'd be curious. Yeah, the first time... I saw that movie in the theater, and that was the last time I saw it. So when it came out, so it's yeah. been a long time. I would love you to rewatch it just out of curiosity. I mean, I'm gonna re- yeah. watch Bottle Rocket tonight because you've been you've totally got me hyped for it. But um, I'd be interested to to hear what you think of it. I'm rewatching it because it's it's a it's a work of art. Like I mean, it's it's a technical marvel. Like it's pretty wild. So just before we kind of start wrapping things up and start going over like our tiering lists, there's two things I wanted to talk about and then hopefully spur up a conversation with you is, so one thing that kept recurring to me the whole time I've been thinking about Wes Anderson and I've been watching his movies and thinking about his movies is Wes Anderson for me, I'm trying to think of a parallel in a movie director like Wes Anderson and I can't really parallel him with another movie director and I'm sure people who are like much more scholarly on movies could probably start picking apart like his movies and like really like kind of like categorize them what was what Wes Anderson reminds me of is he's kind of like Radiohead the band in for the reason being that Radiohead put the first record out which was um Pablo Honey right which is a good record and it showed like signs that they were an interesting band okay from that first record now it wasn't anything super revolutionary and it wasn't anything too different to the period of time so like in that like mid 90s early 90s like grunge period um it was mm-hmm. definitely not a grunge record though so like it did stand apart but like when they released their second record which would have been uh The Bends the bends, yeah. You could see like you could see like almost like the seismic shift starting to happen with that band, where they like they shifted into a realm where they were like, well, this kind of not really anybody sounded like Radiohead right now. The second record, the first record has dashes of like the Pixies and like a lot of American uh, indie rock in it. Second record, it starts to sound like oh, this sounds like Radiohead. And then by the time they made the third record, which would have been, um, is that Kid A, the third record? Yeah. Um, no, wouldn't have been OK Computer. Oh, OK Computer. Yeah, so OK Computer. So OK Computer is basically the Royal Tenenbaums because by the time OK Computer <laughs> came out, you were like this, this is like, this is literally Radiohead. Like nobody sounds like Radiohead now. It's completely their own thing. And I feel like that's what Tenenbaums is like because... Then obviously to follow Tenenbaums with Zissou is like following it with Kid A, where the, where like Kid A is Radiohead going full Radiohead, like yeah, yeah. So the the transition between their first four records is very similar to Wes Anderson's transition in his first four movies. 
to where ultimately apexes himself on the fourth record and never returns. Like, yeah, and yeah. then becomes literally that's, his yeah, that's his own that's thing. That's really interesting. That's an interesting comparison, right there. Yeah, totally. Because like, there's really nobody makes movies like Wes Anderson. Like nobody. Like there's no. plenty of movies make like there's plenty of directors who make like action movies that are similar or like dramas that are similar. Like I suppose like the the nearest comparison to Wes Anderson would be like Noah Baumbach, um, you know, like Squid and the mm. Whale and Greenberg and stuff like that. But what's interesting is he co-wrote Life Aquatic, which I didn't realize. Did you know that? I I think now that you mention it, it did it did come to mind. So I think yeah. I did know that, but but really didn't put uh, yeah. So like that's what I did that together. So that's what I've been thinking about this whole time, and I, I think it's just an interesting analogy or like a, an interesting comparison, because yeah, there's there's very few people like Wes Anderson. Um, and then the second thing I wanted to bring up real quick is, um, hold on, let me just put this down. Um, I wanted to ask you this question, Eric, because I'm fascinated to hear what you, you you think. If you could see Wes Anderson pick a style of movie to make, what would you like to see Wes Anderson do? Um, off the top of my head, I think he would do a really good, I think he would do a good interpretation of a murder mystery, like a Knives uh, Out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that it, it, I don't know if I could see him in like the, in the like sci-fi space or something like that. Um, and I really don't know if I could see him in just like kind of a hard-hitting drama, unfortunately. Really unfortunately, because I think, I think, like I said earlier, his movies have a certain amount of like charm and um, like you said, that they have a certain amount of heart in them. And I don't know that, I mean, I'm sure he could, but I, I don't know that he could pull off like a, like traditional drama i think he would i think he would thrive more in a kind of offbeat mystery type genre or even even a uh noir uh mystery you know like a LA Confidential or like yeah. or something like that, something mm -hmm. along those lines. I think I think that would work like right in his wheelhouse, and he that would be kind of a, a comfortable space for him. Um, I would like him to. I would like to see him do anything besides. And it's weird to say. I would like him to do anything besides a Wes Anderson movie. You know. Yep, and that's exactly where I'm at. Like, I actually want to see him do a science fiction movie. Um, I keep thinking about how interesting that would be. Um, or I'd like to see him to, to do a horror movie, uh, like something like, like extremely, uh, like, like, uh, on an opposite end of the scale from what he does right now, um, I think would be fascinating, um, whether or not he could pull it off. And like, I, I should be careful for what I wish for, because I don't want to see a Wes Anderson style sci-fi movie. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to see it be like all stop motion and quirky and like chintzy, um, sci-fi but i would like to see him do something that yeah like like almost if to to see him direct something somebody else wrote mm -hmm. yeah you know rather than it having like I, his touch touchstones on it and his yeah, trademarks I, I think that's the only way it could happen and 
they would have to reel in his very kind of meticulous style that he uses because it seems like it is very <clears throat> kind of controlled the the way that he shoots things and the and the because there there are certain like camera shots that he uses and, and certain takes that he uses that you see in all of his movies they're mm -hmm. very identifiable um the techniques that he uses and they, and they they span his entire catalog yeah yeah just thought i was an interesting question if anybody's listening obviously hopefully somebody's listening um yeah <laughs> if, if you want to like give us some feedback yeah i'd be interested to hear from anybody listening like what they would like to see wes anderson tackle like if they have like a property that like i would like to see wes anderson do a james bond movie or you know what i mean like if anybody has like yeah yeah there would be an interesting uh feedback to get like it's it's an interesting question um just to imagine what could be you know what I mean? Or like what kind of crazy combination you could come up with with as Wes Anderson. I think it'd be fun. Um Yeah, that's a good that's a good question. Yeah, totally. So yeah, if you're listening, let us know if you wanna get involved in the conversation. For sure that'd be fun. Um so this has been a long one, but um I've been enjoying it so far. So let's wrap up with um I wanna hear Eric's um Eric's top Wes Anderson list. You can either give me a top five or you can rank all of them in order of best to worst. Cause I'm kind of curious to see where some of these movies are going to fall for you. Um, I will do, I will do a top four. Uh, okay. <laughs> Spoil spot. Because, all right. All, all, yeah, only because I haven't seen, um, Life Aquatic in a really long time, and also I haven't seen uh, Darjeeling Limited in a very long time, so I don't want to give them kind of an unfair rating without having kind of a re revisited. Okay, yeah, that's a rewatch on them. I understand that. So I'll go. Uh, number four would be uh, Moonrise Kingdom. Okay. Yeah, number three would be. Um, bottle rocket number two would be rushmore and number one would be royal tenenbaum okay yeah that's pretty classic pretty standard um i'd agree with your listing there um so i would go number one is royal tenenbaums um which was difficult for me to get to that but i would say one tenenbaums two rushmore um three i'd probably put moonrise four i'd probably put um fantastic mr fox um then I would go Bottle Rocket. Bottle Rocket would be higher in my listing, but I haven't seen it. That's the one I haven't revisited in the longest time. I've seen all of these other, mm -hmm. other movies more recently, so I'm sure this list might change once I revisit that. Um, so then after Bottle Rocket, which would fall right down the middle, um, I'd probably go Isle of Dogs. Um, no, actually, I would go Budapest Hotel, then Isle of Dogs. Then I would put um, Life Aquatic second to last, and then I would put Darjeeling as my least favorite. Yeah, yeah. In that order. Yeah, I mean uh, that that's a pretty um, solid rating, you know, in in my books. I think the only reason I didn't like add uh, Bottle Rocket in there is because, I, in a way, I hold it separate from the rest of his movies. It's such. In a, it's 
it's like the most un Wes Anderson movie that there is, but it it might be it might kind of it might almost be kind of the purest uh movie of his because it doesn't have those those classic things that you've seen in all the other movies. Mm-hmm. So to me that that movie is just so separate from everything else that he's made. Yeah. It is. I mean, like just thinking about it and you just talking about it. I mean, I was laughing just hearing you talk about it and like it it's the one that I'm definitely most excited to to go back to now. I wish I had done it. I don't know why I didn't do it. Um but yeah. <laughs> I think well it's funny too, because thinking about it, so obviously we're gonna cover in the in the next few episodes, we're gonna cover uh, Edgar Wright and we're gonna do uh Denis Villeneuve. Now, there's not much of a parallel between Wes Anderson and Denis Villeneuve in terms of like tonally, the type of movies that they make, stylistically, there's not a lot of crossover Mm -hmm. at all between them. But there is quite a bit of crossover between Edgar Wright and Wes Anderson because Edgar Wright is also very trademarky and like he has a lot of recurring things throughout his movies, um, like editing techniques, um, a lot of like recurring shots style. It's like stylistically, those movies all speak to each other very directly in the very much his style. Like he has a very unique style. So does Wes Anderson. So that'll be interesting when we get to that episode, because I feel like whilst Wright hasn't done as many movies, his movies are still like very cohesive like that. Yeah. I'll be, I'll be interested to kind of watch his catalog again, because I, I think there's uh many of them that I have not watched multiple times. Yeah. I'm really curious as to when we get to that episode, what you think about certain films. Um, I'm kind of interested to see how a lot of those movies play with you being American and me being English. Cause I feel like Edgar mm. Wright is very English. Um, at least his early movies are very, very English and like, I don't know, I'm just interested, but we'll, we'll get to that when we come to it. So um, I think that more or less wraps up our Wes Anderson episode now, uh, thanks yeah. for listening, everybody. And I know this is this is a new format for Eric and I, and like we'll obviously start to rein it in and probably get like a few more ideas by the time we come to the next one. But we really just wanted to like keep it more of an open conversational type thing rather than being like these are some facts, you know, like these are the bo- box office numbers, and you know, and like yeah, he used yeah. like this is the name of the key grip he used in the second movie, or like all that crap. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so. Any, any like takeaways, Eric, from this, like this experience of revisiting somebody? Like, did you enjoy it? Did you find it, did you find it like homework or did you find it like enjoyable? No, I, I mean, I really found it enjoyable. I, I wish I had like an extra day, you know, just to watch one or two more of his movies because the ones that I have are, are, they're actually fairly short, you know, they're like about an hour, hour and a half, maybe a little bit over hour 40. And I feel like I could get a couple of them in a day. Um, Mm -hmm. But uh, I mean, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun getting to kind of go back and I I would, I would have liked to watch Rushmore again. Um, I don't think I would have watched Tenenbaums again because I've just seen it so many times. And, um, but Rushmore, it has been, there has been a little bit more time in between. Um, but uh, yeah, I know I had a lot of fun doing it. Yeah. Yeah. It has been a lot of fun and I'm the same. Yeah. I wish I'd have seen redone Rushmore and like, yeah, Tenenbaums. I've probably seen Tenenbaums in excess of 20 times, probably yeah. to the point where it's like, you know, when you're watching it and you like quote the dialogue that's coming up, like yeah. that's how many times I mean, I've those, seen it. Yeah. Those are movies that I can sit down, close my eyes and I can watch them in my head. 
Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, for sure. Um, but yeah, so yeah, I enjoyed it too. I, I enjoyed it. I, I was actually kind of shocked uh, how much I was not looking forward to watching Steve's Zissou, which is weird for me because I like, I'll watch it. I don't know. It's weird. That was a weird thing. Maybe it's like, I can think about it some more and maybe it's like kind of expound on that or expand on that next, next time we talk. But like, yeah, it was weird. Like it's weird to associate a movie with a negative memory. Like for me anyway, and like to actively kind of like dread a movie, which is really weird because I, I can't, that huh. definitely hasn't happened to me before. Um, but that just shows you where I was at when I was younger. You know what I mean? And like a few, yeah, particularly yeah. a few years in my life. But uh, yeah, so <laughs> um, obviously we haven't had time to watch anything else because we've been very studious on Wes Anderson. Is there anything you saw other than this that you wanted to recommend for our listeners, Eric? No, I mean, I, I spent my entire time just kind of going over his movies uh, yeah. within this last week or so. So I haven't had time for anything else. Yeah, me neither. Um, I did want to uh, finish that movie Malignant, um, which I I actually switched that movie off after about like 30 minutes. But I guess word on the street is that movie goes absolutely batshit insane in the last third um <laughs> and now i really really need to watch it so i'm going to try and do that at some point this week because i i, I want to see if all what all the hype's about um have you heard about that i yeah i know how it all plays out i already talked to a friend about it yeah. and um i talked to zach and and he told me everything about it and i was like yeah it sounds about right yeah, it goes like full on like Sam Raimi Evil Dead at the end, like full on like <laughs> Army of Darkness, like bonkers. Um, so I don't know. That's kind of got me thinking. I'll let, I'll watch it. I'll let you know. Um, yeah. But yeah, so nothing to recommend because that's all I've been doing is Wes Anderson. Um, okay, well, that wraps it up. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, once again, please um, send us a voicemail if you want. Let's get a conversation going. Uh, any feedback you have, any any like uh if you want to give us any feedback any tips or like critiques or you know anything you'd like to see us do in the future uh by all means get in touch with us you can get in touch with us through our instagram um which we'll get back to you straight away um or you can leave a voicemail through anchor.com um which should be i've actually tested it out it's really straightforward to do so you can do that and then um thanks eric i really enjoyed this yeah a lot of fun scott okay you take care buddy bye mm -hmm.